Hello and welcome to You Got This, a podcast about teaching, learning, community, conversation, and your digital life, made for everyone at Thompson Rivers University. I'm your host, Brenna Clark-Gray, Coordinator of Educational Technologies, and this podcast is a project of your friends over at Learning, Technology, and Innovation. We're housed within open learning, but we support the whole campus community. I record this podcast into Kumloopste Sequetum within the unceded traditional lands of Sequetum Ulu, where I hope to learn and grow in community with all of you. And community is exactly what I'm thinking about today. I'm thinking about how our communities enable us to engage in critique. And I'm thinking about what it means to speak up and to speak out. Let's get into it. So I spent a chunk of time this morning listening to Get an Air with Terry Green. Terry is senior e-learning designer at Trent University in Ontario, and he hosts this podcast about education. I highly recommend it. Today's episode was an interview with Ian Linkletter. I've talked about Ian before on the show. I consider him a friend, even though we don't think we've actually ever met in person, possibly. A very close internet pal, anyway. You'll remember that a couple of years ago, Ian was sued by Proctorio. Proctorio is one of those surveillance exam companies that became so incredibly wealthy during the pandemic. Ian had posted critiques of their software and how it functions on Twitter when he was at the time an educational technologist at UBC. And uh, yeah, Proctorio didn't like that so much. And they, they filed suit against him. That lawsuit is still ongoing. It has so far been more than two years of Ian's life, and it will likely go on quite a bit longer. The interview is wonderful because it's been a long time that Ian's not been able to speak his piece. Um, And so for that reason, it's just really great to, to hear him articulate the cost of his activism. You know, Ian believes very strongly, and I think that he is correct, that tools like Proctorio are bad for education and they are harmful to students. That subjecting students to that kind of surveillance is ultimately unproductive and that the end result is not worth whatever gains we make in so-called academic integrity. None of that is surprising for you to hear from me. You've heard those perspectives on this show before, but I was really struck listening to Ian talk about the role of community and support and how lonely the work that he does has been, can be, is. Early in the lawsuit, I wrote a letter of support publicly to defend Ian. And I was really struck. We had hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of people offer themselves as signatories to the letter. Supporting Ian in that way was easy. (laughs) Honestly, uh, I believe very strongly in the work that Ian does. And I, I believe that educational technologists need to have the freedom to critique the tools that we support. Otherwise, I don't think there's much point in us existing. You might as well have corporate tech support if you're not going to allow technologists working in universities to critique these tools. But I recognize that not everyone feels that they have the capacity to speak in support, even when they do agree with a critic. There is a lot of incentive (laughs) to stay quiet 
in these kinds of scenarios, whether one is anxious about a lawsuit coming against themselves or whether one works at an institution that will not be supportive of their activism. And different levels of privilege always make different levels of critique more or less safe. I won't say possible. I know lots of folks in precarious positions who put a lot on the line to speak about the ethical concerns they have with the kinds of technologies we impose on students. But I definitely think it's safer and to make those critiques from, say, permanent faculty position, particularly, oh, I don't know, a tenured position, like fingers crossed and stuff. Anyway, I'm going to link to the episode because I think it's worth your time to listen to. The cost of critique is not insignificant, and you can really understand that when you hear Ian speak. Ian's now an emerging technology and open education librarian at BCIT, and I think that's an ultimately an excellent fit for him and his skill set and his capacity. But the kind of freedom that those of us in faculty roles have... It's really critical to extend to folks who are not faculty within the university because I think that if you have expertise in an area, the university should support your right to speak on your area of expertise, whether you're in a staff or a faculty position. We should support students to do the same. Having a community of educational technologists stand up and support Ian through this wild ordeal has been important. Institutional support is material. <laughs> and that's that's important too. Speaking of the institution, <laughs> I have a new member of the team to introduce to you today. I'm really excited to share this interview with Melanie Latham. Melanie joined the team just this summer and it's been a heck of an onboarding. I've been absent for most of it. So it was really nice to sit down and get to know her a little better. And I think I think you'll appreciate that too. I'll let uh, Melanie take it from here. So I am here today with Melanie Latham, who is the newest coordinator of educational technologies on the team here at LTNI. Um, Melanie, would you introduce yourself? I usually ask people to share uh, where folks might find them on campus or, you know, kind of like what they're doing in the role. So, you know, however you'd like to, please feel free to introduce yourself. Thank you, Brenna. Um, yeah, my name is Melanie Latham, and like uh, you mentioned, I am a coordinator of educational technologies. Uh, where you can find me on campus is in the OL building on the third floor. You'll see I have an office there, and always welcome to um, the doors always open. I always tell people that you can find me there or more likely at Reservoir where the coffee is better, but I don't actually know if they've opened yet for the fall semester. So I know I've been keeping an eye on that. I'm curious too. (laughs) Yeah, it's definitely the best coffee like adjacent to campus, but yeah, but their pandemic hours have been understandably a little bit different. Anyway, so Melanie, I brought you on the show because I always make all the new team members do an episode. (laughs) So welcome. But I also I'd I'd love to talk a little bit about your background before you came into this role. And then we might transition to, you know, how it's been so far coming on board during the summer in a pandemic is like you barely get to see humans. So I'm curious about how (laughs) that process has gone. But yeah, let's start with your background and what brought you to educational technology in the first place. I guess my background, I'll start with kind of my credentials here. I've got a Bachelor of Education degree and a Bachelor of Arts degree. So I was destined for kind of a K-12 environment, but uh, as opportunity kind of presented itself, I was in Red Deer at the time and a role called the Educational Multimedia Specialist came about through Red Deer College and um, really intrigued me. So 
I was successful in that and I started that and I just fell in love. I think it was Mm -hmm. just a new direction that was so interesting and fascinating and just a different side of education that I really didn't know existed. So really found my passion, really found my groove there and worked in that role for a number of years, both in person and remotely. And then over time, just kind of through talking to colleagues and my bosses at the time, they encouraged me to pursue a graduate degree. So I ended up doing my master's of education degree in instructional design. And I was in the learning designer role for about a year there until I accepted this position. So a little bit all over the place, but all related to ed tech and yeah, just kind of found my passion, found my calling. Oh, I love this. I love this. I think ed tech is a field that everybody has kind of a fairly circuitous path to. Even folks who do a, you know, a graduate degree in educational technology, they often start somewhere very different. So I think it's one of the things that makes the field like really rich and interesting. You said you fell in love with it. I wonder if you want to talk a little bit about why you think you fell in love with it. I think it was just the environment being in a post-secondary world and just the potential and the opportunity that that presented and just different ways of working. And I think a little bit more maybe flexibility and creativity Mm. in use of ed tech. Maybe, I don't want to say like K-12 doesn't have that. Maybe just in my experience of K-12, to it was pretty set and rigid to some degree, I guess, or you just maybe don't have the capacity to explore other tools because, you know, you're focused on delivering the curriculum in the best way. So, yeah, so I think it was just the difference different differences of tools and then you've got your adult learners too in a different audience which I think opens kind of a multitude of opportunity as well yeah I I do love working with yeah adult learners the, the freedom and scope you get I I as you know from our team chat my kiddo just started kindergarten and we've been getting all these great updates from his teacher and it's awesome and I also like I do not have that kind of stamina or capacity <laughs> like it's just the sheer, I know the sheer logistics involved in just keeping like the wheels on the car <laughs> when you're working in a lot of K to 12 environments, I think, yeah, it can, it can make it difficult to explore and be creative. And also just the reality of moving from like a heavy teaching load to getting to be in faculty support and the amount of space that we get for play compared to even in a, in a post-secondary context, when you're not carrying that teaching load, I think I think that makes a big difference too. Yeah, I think you summed it up perfectly. That makes yeah, exactly. We just got we just got an update while we've been talking. My my phone binged and it was a image from the teacher and it's like, here they are cutting. And then it's the next one's like, here they are gluing. And I'm like, that's amazing. And also you have the patience of Job. Well, that's exactly it. I remember being in a grade one classroom and that's exactly it. Your focus is like safety, making sure people are on task. And it it's less about the ed tech exploration at that point. It's just kind of getting through the day successfully, making making sure everyone's successful. So I think, yeah, it's just a different change of pace. That's for sure. <laughs> yeah. And it, you know, it's something we find in, in, in this role too, obviously not the like getting people's shoes on part, but we often, you know, faculty are so busy and what they want is for us to give them like solutions, right? Like here are some strategies that are going to work. And play comes kind of after that often. Like they need the they need the sort of tried and true way into a tool and then they'll start to explore with it later. But like, you know, I remember that from having a 4-4 teaching load. It's like, oh yeah, no, I don't have time to to breathe. If you want me to try a new tool, you gotta show me that it's worth my time and that it works. And then I'll invest, you know, 
interest in in playing with it later, right? Absolutely. And I think that's part of where my passion lies too. It's like, let me do that kind of background work and exploration. So then you can kind of, yeah, focus on your priorities and then I can help you support you with that. So you started, this is going to show how foggy my whole summer has been, but I feel like you started in July. Is that right? Did you start? Oh, wow. Okay. Yay. (laughs) I was totally here. I wonder if you might, we talk a lot on this show about sort of like the affective reality of working in the university. Like I don't, I don't shy away from big feelings. I just wonder what the experience was like of starting a new role in a pandemic with most of us still working remotely in our team anyway this summer most of us were remote yeah I wonder what that was like I guess I have a bit of an unusual background in that sense where I had actually been working remotely for about six years prior to this okay yeah so then when I kind of began remotely to me that that was a very familiar environment and I'm used to working kind of on my own day-to-day anyways. So I feel like it was a smooth transition in that sense. And honestly, this dynamic of coming back to the office is a change of pace for me. And it's getting used to that structure, routine, and just environment as well. So it's actually (laughs) been a bit backwards in that sense, uh, just kind of getting used to that office life again. But I think it just it presents a lot of neat opportunities that I really look forward to this year. I mean, the future is always undecided here. We'll we'll see how this pandemic continues, but it's nice to have the option to be remote, to be on campus, and just to kind of, I guess, choose the modality that suits the task at hand. Yeah. And, you know, I think in that respect, our team is not far off from a lot of the teaching faculty we're supporting. Mm-hmm. Like I find in office hours anyway, you know, when people are on their teaching days, they're on campus, but if they're on a non-teaching day, they're very often not. And maintaining some remote offerings, I think has been really helpful for getting to connect with folks who might might be choosing campus one day, not campus the next. And as you say, like what's best suited for the task at hand? Like, does it make sense to go all the way to campus and pay for parking to sit in your office and do 10 Zoom calls in a row and then go home? Like probably not, <laughs> right? Exactly. Also, I'm not sure the campus internet is up to 10 Zoom calls in a row a lot of days. <laughs> yeah, that's a good point too. That's part of it. But um, it's just, yeah, nice to have that opportunity to exactly support faculty virtually, but then also to be available in person as needed. Because I had actually also seen kind of that dynamic too, that some faculty are happy with the digital method there, you know, it's it's convenient for them. They don't have to trek across campus where I think some faculty too are like, I learn better in person. Is it possible to set something up? So yeah, I'm kind of just flexible and we'll be able to be accommodating, which is really nice. Yeah, I agree. I think it's nice to meet people where they are and also where they're most comfortable. And I think one of the good things about our team having sort of a range of preferences, even within the team itself, is that like the semester is like things are going to change over the course of the semester. If we learned anything from last year, it's like what you feel comfortable with today versus what you feel comfortable tomorrow. No guarantee that's the same thing, right? And so I think we're able to be responsive to that. But I wonder, have you found like things on campus you really like yet? Or are you mostly just like OL building home? (laughs) Good question. You know what? I've tried to force myself to just explore the campus as much as I can while I'm here, just kind of cruise around. Like I I went to the back to school barbecue, which was really nice. Yeah, it was just cool to be a part of that energy because I hadn't been a part of that in, oh gosh, a number of years, kind of an on-campus event. So that was really exciting and just kind of 
getting my bearings straight, understanding where buildings are and what's around mm-hmm. there. And I checked out the Common Grounds Cafe and that was lovely. Oh, yeah. You know, those that's nice the best on campus coffee. Totally. For sure. Totally. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I was going to say, I was really <laughs> pleased. So it's those little yeah. kind of gems and just getting, yeah, my bearings straight. Yeah. I, so I love Common Grounds. It's also a great place to just like sit mm-hmm. and hang out. And oftentimes, well, back in the Back in the on-campus days, we used to make a lot of use of Trusu's rooms over there because they will let us book them and they're really nice sort of open spaces and they have close proximity to the good coffee. And I have to put a plug in for you. You won't have been able to try it yet, but the Scratch Cafe opens again this week and the Scratch Cafe is the culinary arts cafe Mm -hmm. and it's awesome. They have like three or four specials every day. So you can go and get lunch. It's really reasonably priced. It's the culinary arts students like run the kitchen and, uh, yeah, they open again tomorrow, I feel like. Okay, yes, I have heard of that one. And that is something that has definitely been on my to explore list. So <laughs> I appreciate that. Absolutely. I will definitely check that out. Yeah, it's a good one. The French fries in particular, like, that's my advice. Okay, <laughs> That's my workplace advice. <laughs> noted, got it. <laughs> Always get the fries. So, you know, one of the opportunities of having all the new team members come on the show at some point is to just, you know, introduce you to the community. I wonder if you want to talk a little bit about like what you want to do in the role or what you hope to do in the role or what you see your strengths as, or, you know, kind of what the community can expect from, from having you as one of our coordinators. Absolutely. So, so far, I think kind of where I feel like I am finding a groove a bit is supporting on the help desk. So answering tickets through the Moodle support and learning tech emails, as well as participating in office hours. And I think that's just a bit of a learning curve in terms of just learning the Moodle system. I come from the Blackboard learning management system where So just trying to get my um, kind of understanding of Moodle up to speed here, but I think it's coming along well. And I think faculty help with that when they bring their questions and concerns. So hopefully some um, patience is there too, just as I (laughs) learn this and kind of become familiar with the systems, but always happy to help in those office hours. So that, and I think just projects, I'm really excited to dive into some just other, I guess, aspects I'm curious to see as they come up just like our digital literacies project kind of thinking about that and even workshopping as well I'm excited just to think about how to best put together something for the TRU community yeah it's so I also came from a blackboard background and one of the things I found about Moodle is like a day just comes at a certain point and your brain just thinks like Moodle now instead of thinking like Blackboard. For me, it was really great because I find Moodle a more, I mean, I'm never going to like, I'm never going to be the person who cheerleads the learning management system, but I do find Moodle ultimately easier to work with than I found Blackboard. So yeah, but yeah, the learning curve is no joke because for a long time, it's just like the buttons are all in the wrong place and people are asking you questions and you're like, I know how to solve this, but I don't know like where the button is <laughs> exactly yes that's exactly yeah. it <laughs> yeah totally it's like I know exactly what the problem is but I don't know how to find the right spot to fix it and then the other thing about like workshops and like what's going to work best for the community I think that's one of the great things about having you here as a new just a new perspective on that because yeah it's something we've been talking a lot about I'm saying that to the listeners because you know we've been talking a lot about it because I've been talking about it with you, but is <laughs> that, you know, I it feels like a cliche to say that the pandemic changed everything, but the pandemic really has changed everything in terms of like, we're still trying to feel out where people's focus is right now and what their primary interests are. And 
all of that is like sort of in progress and in process. So it's really useful, I think, for the team to have someone new with a fresh perspective who's not sort of set in a particular way of doing things to say like, hey, if this isn't working, like how about X, Y, and Z? And uh, it's our job to listen. I'm not sure I'm always great at that part, but <laughs> it's really good to have you here with a fresh perspective to try to help. Because I think, yeah, learning how to serve the community and being super flexible about what the community needs is both the joy of this work and also the hardest part. Absolutely. Right. Just kind of figuring that out. And I think it's trying to identify to the needs that I'm just not familiar with or past history of just how things have progressed, how the pandemic was experienced here. So it's just those kind of things and start to identify the gaps where I can kind of step in, hopefully, and help fill some of those gaps. So I'm always open to suggestions and just to hear areas that yeah you can see a need for some development work and everything and as well as exactly bringing in perspectives that hopefully can kind of bring some new insight because I always value that I totally get what you mean when someone new comes to the table it's just just a new perspectives always helpful is there anything that you are like dying to do like a workshop that you used to do that you loved or like maybe a perspective on something or a technology you'd love to bring in like is there something that you're sort of chomping at the bit for right now? Honestly, I'm just uh, amazed and I love TRU's technology, the open source platforms that we have here that I've just been excited just to kind of play around and wrap my head around how these can be used in the classroom. Um, in terms of, I guess, things that I'm excited and passionate about is I really admire instructional design and learning design and how that correlates with educational technology. So even something like if you're putting together a PowerPoint presentation for one of your classes, well, are you considering which graphics are going in there, how they're laid out, how you're storytelling, how you're organizing your slides? Like there's, I think, a lot of considerations even developing those kind of instructional materials and resources there's a lot of considerations to factor in that maybe sometimes go unlooked because, again, the focus is typically on the content, making sure you're getting together what you want to deliver to students. And I think I have that lens and passion to help bring a new element into the, the picture to kind of consider in that sense. I'm looking forward to that because I think as a sector, <laughs> we have this weird, like, I don't know learning design and instructional design for most campus faculty, and I say this like wearing my previous hat as like a, you know, full-time faculty member, it's like the last thing on your mind, right? Because you have coverage and you have content and you have policy. And those are the things that you have to do. And no one, no one, no one in the whole institution is talking to you about design or about like, you know, your instructional plan or any of that kind of stuff. And especially because the vast majority of us come to post-secondary teaching without a bachelor of education, without any kind of training in the field. It's sort of wild to me, like, because now that I'm in this role and we work so closely with the instructional designers I, and we work so closely with Kelt, like I get it. Like I get how important all these pieces are, but I remember also the frenetic pace of being a full-time faculty member with no educational training and just not even not even being aware of those things and the obsession with content and coverage especially you know I taught in the community college system and it was all about like alignment for transfer not like alignment for learning objectives or like alignment for a particular you know outcome but alignment for transfer that was all that mattered and I love that in this role we can I think sometimes make like instructional design and learning design concepts very accessible to faculty. And also I think we're a good conduit to the instructional designers and the 
when they, when that support is needed. And it's just a whole world that I knew nothing about, honestly, nothing before I came to this role. Absolutely. And that's exactly my experience too, is working with faculty members with exactly like you said, not necessarily an education background. So my challenge and, and passion's always been, well, how can I put together resources, workshops, or anything that can have a big impact with low, I guess, effort in that sense? Like what small changes can be made that will make a huge impact on the student experience, but don't require a ton of work understanding and respecting that exactly. That's not the priority when you've got that content you're thinking about and how you want to put together your lesson. So I think that's kind of an exciting part of this role where it'll be, yeah, how can I best support faculty to in with that kind of instructional design lens when using kind of a educational technologies, just trying to create the best student experience, right? That's the end goal is just how can we create the best experience for students with um, hopefully just in really streamlined, easy ways. Yeah, that's exactly it. And and I think, you know, it's like making it bite-sized and accessible, but it's also so many of us crave a better understanding of why, (laughs) why we do lots of things. And I think we often don't even realize that that is missing from our world until it's provided to us. And that's one thing I really noticed, like when our attendance kicked up huge in the pandemic, there was suddenly this space to have those conversations about why we make the choices we make in the classroom. And, you know, there's this famous article, uh, Pedagogy of Kindness by Kate Denial. And in it, she talks about how she had never in her life been asked to justify why she makes the choices she makes in the classroom. And at one point, that was the most natural thing in the world to her. You just do what you do because it's the way you were taught and that's what we do. But how utterly strange she feels it is now that she does think about the why of her classroom all the time that no one ever had that conversation with her earlier in her career and I I kind of see us as in a place to to do that absolutely it's it kind of intertwining that why you're doing something with the how to actually achieve it and make it happen so I think yeah I'm glad you mentioned that because I am all about the why and having practical applicability, right? Like you need to be, it's not just to do things to make things look fun or flashier. It's engaging. It's, it's, there's a, a reason behind it, right? Like a pedagogical purpose. Yeah. That's just critical. It's, it changes everything about your practice once you have a way into those conversations. And I like to think that's, that's one of the things we give to campus in addition to answering Moodle support questions, which I, I think is our, our primary gift to campus. <laughs> Absolutely. (laughs) Making Google run. Well, Melanie, thank you so much for taking the time to chat with me today. I really appreciate it. And I'm also just genuinely so happy you're here. (laughs) We haven't had a chance to chat very much because you arrived and then I was on a family leave and then back and then the chaos of the beginning of term. And then I disappeared to do my tenure promotion portfolio. So like, (laughs) we haven't really had a chance to connect, but I'm really glad you're here. And I think you're going to bring in energy and a a real design sense that will benefit the whole team. So thanks for taking the time today. And also thanks for taking the job here. It's going to make us all better. Awesome. Well, thank you so much for having me. And I look forward to this year. I'm super excited to see what comes of it. And I'm just super happy to be a part of this team. Take care, Melody. Thank you. So that is it for season three, episode two of You Got This. 
As always, if you want to write to us, you can email me. I'm bgray at tru.ca. And I'm also on Twitter at Brenna C. Gray. And in both cases, that's gray with an A. All of our show notes and transcripts are posted at yougotthis.truebox.ca. And of course, you can always comment on individual episodes there. I'm going to leave you today with a tiny teaching tip, and it's going to circle back to that reference I made to Kate Denial's essay, Pedagogy of Kindness. I think it's a really good moment (laughs) in September, before September passes us completely by, to take a second and reflect on our why. There are a lot of reasons (laughs) to reflect on why we do what we do in the classroom. It's good practice, obviously, big fan of reflective practice over here. But I also think that reflecting on why you're choosing to do things the way you do them in the classroom makes you a more confident educator. And it also makes it a lot easier to explain to students why you're doing what you're doing. And it has long been my experience that when we really want buy-in from students, what we need to do is explain to them why we do what we do. Our learners have spent their entire academic careers, most of them probably, just doing things because someone said so. They're adults. And sharing with them why we make the pedagogical choices we make gives them a lot more agency, allows them to prioritize more effectively, and it also lets them look under the hood of their own education, which it's not something to be sneezed at. So take some time this week, reflect on why you do what you do, and think about sharing that with your students. I have always found that the time spent doing that is paid back to me in great dividends with buy-in on what I want to accomplish. Until next time, I hope you're well. (laughs) I hope the new term is treating you well, and I hope you're treating each other well. Take care of yourself, and I'll be back next week. Bye-bye.